A Dog's Religion, Chapter 4, by Joel Robitaille. I am Newman Newstone, reading to you this story. Megan provided me with an amazing gift that morning. She told me straight up that my values were confused. My lie was exposed. I was always in it for myself. And the worst part was that I couldn't help but reflect on Emily's words. You can't fix yourself by protecting the innocent. This made me question everything. When I worked at the shelter, was I truly protecting the innocent? Or was there some deep, dark part of my soul that needed to protect the innocent in order to manage my fate? And if this was my motivation with the dogs, did this same principle apply to my friendship with Emily? All of a sudden I had to question myself by selfless actions in life because Megan proved I was capable of being highly selflessly motivated. So I walked home from Megan's apartment with the sun shining and the birds singing and my heart aching. But this was only the start of my day. When I arrived home, I tried to sneak in quietly so that I could make it to my bedroom without being detected. Emily was waiting for me, though, on the alert. She didn't ask me to explain my lateness. Instead, she took my hand and led me to the bathroom upstairs. Take a shower, she said, then get dressed. You picked a real good morning to show up at this time. What's going on, I asked. Then the doorbell rang. Emily exulted in exasperation. You don't have time now. Don't you remember? We talked about this. The doorbell rang again. Get downstairs, Grant. We're going to have to do this with you looking the way you are. I can't believe you. At least change your shirt. I quickly splashed some water on my face, then doused my hair. After drying myself with a fleece cloth, I changed my shirt. Still clueless, I walked downstairs. A familiar figure was sitting in our living room chair, Pastor Davin. My first impression of Davin had been gathered two years earlier. I attended a Christian Vesper service one evening at the request of a friend and I was taken in by Devin's character as a whole. He was probably about 45, and he had a voice that resounded with compassion, confidence, and most remarkably, a passion for the message he started his life upon. He had this type of voice that made you feel secure before all the trials life had to offer, like there was nothing that could happen to you that couldn't be overcome. In appearance, he was a tall man with probably a strong athletic streak. As he was growing up, dark eyes, dark hair. He had a square jaw that could stand resolute before all opponents, and no doubt his chin could also stand up to any violence cast against it. All things considered, I believe God put him in this world as an encourager, a confidence builder to those around him. And all his features and attributes concurred to form this universal impression, both within and outside of congregational life. Grant, I'd like to introduce you to Pastor Devon, Emily said. Good to meet you, I said, extending my hand. 
Thank you for inviting me, Devin replied, shaking it firmly. While Emily slipped away to get coffee, I sat on the couch and watched the pastor pull out a binder and pen from his briefcase. When I observed him write something at the top of the page, I wondered exactly how much time Emily had previously spent with this man. In that moment, I felt like Devin had penetrated my defenses, and I already planned to indict me in my own living room. It seemed that day that everything was going to come crashing down. Don't look so worried, Grant, he assured me. I'm here to listen and to advise you as the situation demands. I'm not here to judge you. Emily appeared with a tray of coffee and sat beside me on the couch. Devin continued, But my concern here is for Emily and her well-being. My associate pastor, Justin Fancy, I'm sure, pretty sure you know him, expressed concern over this young woman and asked me to meet with her. You didn't tell me you had talked to Justin, I said to Emily. Not now, Emily replied, darting me a sharp look. Devin reached into his briefcase and pulled out an old briar pipe, still redolent with the faint smell of tobacco. I don't smoke it, but this used to be my mentor's pipe. It has become my way to invoke wisdom's presence in my sessions. I hope you don't mind. Emily and I smiled when he put the pipe his, the pipe his mouth. Knock yourself out, I said. He withdrew the pipe again, licked his lips, and grew serious. Grant, this is one of the strangest cases I've encountered, and delicacy uh, of the matters leaves me little choice but to re-inquire into the core of this unusual lifestyle you two have fashioned for yourselves. Oh, I said. Ask away, but I can't guarantee you'll like the answers. Emily tells me that you work at an animal shelter, and yet you've had a theological education and have done some pastoral work yourself. That's true, I spent a year in ministry. Do you mind if I ask why you left? In my experience, belief in God is a gift, not something that can be earned or acquired. I couldn't continue pastoring while waiting to be chosen. Ah, he said, in understanding. Have you tried praying? I pray every day. I'm not above doing anything if it leads to conviction. Devin looked at me quizzically and up and tapped his pipe, including your job, I nodded. From what I understand, your responsibilities at the shelter greatly disturb Emily. I agree, it's been a problem, I admitted. But I've tried harder to leave work at work. She has no stomach for the role I play in the shelter, for the role I play. Well, I feel like I'm making a difference. Does that sum it up well, Emily? Devinette? Pretty much. But it's what he's capable of doing that's upsetting me. All right, you two. Let me begin by explaining to you why I decided to counsel you as a married couple. While I don't support the idea of living together before marriage, I recognize that you're experiencing the same types of challenges. My hope is that our time together will help you consider going down that road. We appreciate you seeing us, I said. And I'm on board, but I want you to understand something. To me, living together before marriage speaks a great deal about the human desire for commitment and nothing about character. Devin smiled and stuck the pipe back in his mouth. He's trying to help us, Emily scolded, glaring at me accusingly. He didn't come here to talk about your views. It's okay, Devin said reassuringly, not twirling the pipe around, now twirling it around with his fingers. 
Perhaps Grant would like to share his thoughts over a coffee someday. Yeah, maybe. Emily talked to me about how you two have lived together for several years without having relations. It's strange to me that I'm counseling a platonic couple who view themselves as married. I looked at Emily sitting there beside me, withdrawn and pensive, then replied, How do you know we view ourselves this way? Emily told me that you were married in principle. I looked at her for a second, but her gaze remained downcast. I can see how we could view our relationship as a marriage. We have the same tensions and struggles. But we'd probably be married if Emily wasn't so prone to pushing me off on other women rather than dealing with her issue. That's not fair, Emily exclaimed. Then she turned to the pastor. I told her to date others because I thought I was no good for it. Emily has assured me that she has your best interest in mind, Devin said soothingly. But you said something that intrigued me. You said Emily's issue. What do you think her issue is? I looked at Emily and considered my words. She's terrified of the vulnerability that comes with a committed relationship. I think her issue revolves around a shaky self-worth. My struggle is trying to get her to realize that she's the most valuable presence in my life. Emily did not protest my explanation. Her eyes had the look of being criticized with no desire to fight in it. That proves what I'm saying, I said pointingly to Emily in her silence. She doesn't get it. Devin tapped his pipe on the table again and looked at Emily. What is it that you want from all of this, he asked her. Emily remained frozen for a second, almost spaced out, and then she looked up at the pastor and said, I don't want him to sleep with her anymore. There was a silence in the room. I had a girlfriend because I didn't know what else to do, I explained. I mean, what could I do? I could eternally wait for Emily to come around, or I could at least prospect for another opportunity so that I could find someone who could be close to me. Devin seemed to consider this for a second. But that's not the reason you dated another. What was your ulterior motive? You, you can be honest about it. I'm trying to be, I insisted. If I was in your position and I had your feelings for Emily, I know what my motive would be. You're not going to be struck down for admitting it. I sat there for a second, stunned at the turn of events. Who could have predicted that I would have a pipe thrown in my face this early in the morning? Emily, I suppose I dated Megan because I knew she would get you incensed, ultimately making you jealous, I admit it. I understand that, said Emily sharply. But you slept with her while loving me. Then she turned to Devin. I don't know how I can reconcile this. Is that, is she right? Did you have relations with this Megan? Devin asked. I don't have to answer that, I replied. I don't have to be here, Devin countered, but I'm here for a purpose. Let's stay on it. I need closeness in my life, too, I protested, watching for Emily's reaction out of the corner of my eye. She showed no emotion. Devin considered this for a second, lightly tapping his pipe again. This is where you and I would diverge in our thinking. Emily has talked very little to me about her problems, and she never told me about how you two relate. But I have to tell you, I see a big problem here, and I can see how a man of your background could feel very good about himself right now. You don't understand the situation, I snapped. No, I don't, Devin said calmly. Nor can I imagine any situations where the feelings you inspire in each other in light of your decisions would be acceptable. I said nothing. Emily, maybe you should consider moving out and starting again. It's just easier. There's a lot of pain between you two, 
When you had me come over, I was under the impression that you two were a moral couple living together out of necessity. But this seems much messier. I understand that at first glance our relationship is complicated, I agree. You might even feel we're messed up people. But really, we're just trying to keep our heads above water and hope that we stay together. We really care for each other, Pastor, Emily added, obviously embarrassed and apologetic about my sudden outburst. The minister looked thoughtful for a second. You both know what's going on here is not healthy. How could I ever explain to Devin the crazy behavior that stems from the loneliness inside? Perhaps he'd have understood if I compared it to Christ's encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well and the special request he made of her. Will you give me a drink? Indeed, to draw your loneliness up to the surface requires a break in your own conventions and an inspiring amount of faith that the water you'll be offered in return comes from the same soulful depths. You have to anticipate that the person you share your feelings with will be able to accept and relate without judgment to the way you describe your relationship to the world around you. And it's not an easy burden to let go. The feelings is romanticized enough that it is now a major contributor to your sense of identity. And to put such a sentiment into words risks devaluing everything that's precious. So how could I explain to Devin and Emily that I had been developing this trust since the moment we met each other and created some unusual circumstances along the way? What if we requested to be officially married in the church, I asked. Emily looked at me quickly, surprised to say the least. I'd wish you guys the best, but I wouldn't marry you myself. In fact, until you work through your problems, I'd suggest that the ceremony should be performed in a legal venue, not religious. You wouldn't trust our judgment and put this matter in God's hands, I asked. In my mind, you two are not what I consider to be a devoted couple, Devin said candidly. But we'd take the necessary steps, Emily protested, being careful not to sound disrespectful. Emily, the problems between you two are well beyond my skills and require a licensed family therapist. What if Justin would marry us, Emily asked. Would you agree to such an agreement? When she said this, I felt my stomach sink. It made me wince to hear her say his name. For a second, I thought Devin looked a little bit ill. He gave an answer that pacified Emily's request, but obviously stretched his conscience. I'd have to talk to Justin about it first, but I'd greatly discourage him from doing so. Emily agreed that this was something to be explored further and then let the subject drop. Devin, however, didn't seem to be in a huge hurry to leave. He took one last taste of his pipe before setting it down beside him and then began to drink his coffee, looking much more relaxed. Do you mind if I ask you guys something, he asked. Go ahead, Emily encouraged, and I nodded. What first attracted you to each other? I glanced sidelong at Emily. Want me to go first? She gestured for me to go ahead. There are so many things, but when I first met Emily, I noticed that she had a certain way with animals. She lived at home with her family. She had two dogs and a cat, whom she treated like they were her own kids. She's also a voracious reader and a much better writer than she gives herself credit for. When I talked about my ideas, she understands where I'm coming from, even though she unusually doesn't agree. She's also since so simple in her faith. She's the one trying to get me to go back to church. I get the sense she knows there's a better person inside me and that she's willing to wait for him to emerge. How about you, Emily? Devin asked. From the moment I met him, I knew he was caring, Emily said. Her eyes became watery. In fact, Grant's caring to a fault, and I feel like he'd never give up on me as a person. 
In my life, that's such a security as I've never known. Taking another sip of coffee, Devin asked me whether our parents lived in town as well. My father's Marco, I said. Yeah, Marco, isn't that that rough-looking man who owns the hobby shop downtown? I nodded. I've been trying to get that man to come to church for quite some time. I bought this remote-controlled car for my son from him when we've been accessorizing it for years. New tires, decals, and upgraded spoiler. The thing's gas-powered. Good guy, your dad. I suppose so. You spend much time with your parents? Devin asked, looking genuinely interested. My parents and I don't talk. They were upset when I inherited. What does it matter? It's just that you look familiar, so you're a spire. I believe your mother sometimes attends the church. When I didn't respond, he inquired about my parents' opinion of Emily. They really don't know her, and I imagine they have no interest in meeting her, I explained. What about your family, Emily? Are there any here in town as well? I'm not familiar with any of the Arums. Yes, they live near the end of Fox Street. Since my father's heart attack, I've been visiting the house more and more often. So your family problems have been sorting themselves out? Yes, but slowly, Emily murmured. Devin picked up his pipe again and began spinning it slowly in his hand. You know, guys, if you're serious about marriage, wisdom tells us that to give ourselves the best chance you need, the commitment of individuals, the support of the family, and the hand of God at work. Aside from Emily, Tamar was my most confident and friend. My closest confident and friend. My moral disposition in the world had been irrevocably challenged when I started spending time with him. He was the type of guy whom, if you told him that you put the goat horns on five married guys in a night, he'd congratulate you and give you a slap on the back. But if you threw a pop can in the garbage instead of recycling it, you'd never hear the end of it. With Tamer, my sense of right and wrong were personally being questioned, devil's advocate style. But how could he resist? His type B personality approach to life and complete lack of concern when it came to women was in stark contrast to my desire for a conventional family. This well-liked restaurant manager floated about with a smile, surrounding himself with friends he held to minimal standards, and for the most part, without a care in the world, while I was dangerously near the precipice. From my perspective, it was inconceivable that he was carefree and smiling when we both had so much work to do and get our lives in order. This is why it is often felt, despite our openness with each other, like there was an ocean of distance to traverse if we were ever to have a proper understanding. Later that day, we were sitting in the pub together. I just related to him the events of, from that morning, and his response was lackluster, to say the least. You look tired today, Tamar, I said. Old man, I've beaten down. I'm going to admit something to you. With all these women in my life, I don't know if I can take it anymore. Yeah, poor you, I said sarcastically. No, I'm serious. You know, I'm living with two women right now, and I have had my bed up in the living room. Yeah, it's getting to me. What's getting to you, I asked. Every night when I go to bed, I wake up to find myself sandwiched between my roommates. I can't even stretch out, with both of them snuggled into me. Not to mention that I have no privacy. I have to, well, you know, take care of myself on the sly, and I sly, and I worry about getting caught every time. I'm at the point where it just doesn't matter. I laughed out loud at the thoughts of his inconvenience. It's not funny, man. 
Do you realize that I woke up to four women sleeping in my bed last night? Four women. That's way too much cuddling for me. And then I get pulled in for long talks about trivial nonsense, like who stole whose juice? Are you kidding me? We have to have a house meeting over beverages in the fridge with rules laid out. Well, you do look stressed. It's killing me. It's too much. It needs some space. Well, I could understand that, I sympathized. It seems that everywhere we go, women are coming up and yelling at you for something or another. I know, Tamar admitted. It's like they all have to claim on me. As if I'm so, as if I see an attractive woman when I'm out with these girls, they sabotage. They sabotage, Grant, even though they all have boyfriends. It's ridiculous. I can't say I feel sorry for you, I said. You've brought this upon yourself. Well, you could at least keep Emily away from me. What do you mean, I demanded. Right after she freaked out at you for showing up like a vagabond in the middle of the morning forgetting your appointments with the pastor, she came to visit me. What did she say, I asked. Tamar laughed. Oh, she said she was ticked off with you, that Emily really comes out of her shell once you get to know her. She's a fireball, all right. Tamar, were you the one who recommended that she seek out a pastor to help us with our problems? Old man, crazy as she is, I had no choice but to tell her to talk to Justin. I'm not sure I've ever met a woman like her, Grant. Seriously, I think you've been as harmful to her as anything else she's experienced. How can you say that, I said in disbelief. I took her in when nobody else would, and I've tried to care for her for the only way I know how. Everything I've done has been at her request. Sure, buddy, said Tamar with a wink. Consider who you're talking to. You can't fool me. I've been trying to help her, I insisted. I'm not one to cast stones, but you're doing harm to her, trust me. I know, I struggled to admit. But I love her, Dan. Tamar got that angry look in his lies. I do, I love her, I repeated. Old man, I've had seven quid in my pocket and some crowns, he recited, shaking his head in disgust. I never should have introduced you to James Joyce, I said. Oh, grow up. You should have honored our agreement. You know we're not supposed to use that word in front of each other. Are you serious, I asked. I couldn't be more, Tamer replied. There are three things in life I know to be facts. Sex is only a big deal when you're not having it. God reveals himself in dire straits, and love, my friend, is a crock. I started to laugh. It's not funny, he insisted. Look, I won't go all soft on you, I said reassuringly. But sure that you don't, Tamer warned. I wouldn't do that to you. Remember, we have a deal. Next time you're buying me dinner. I just looked at him silently, unsure whether he was genuinely offended or not. This only seemed to inflame Tamar further. You're driving me crazy tonight. You're serious, prick. Just tell me what's wrong and be done with it. Something came up in our discussions with the pastor, I admitted. Tamar had a look in his eyes that said he was ready to tear a strip out of me again, but his curiosity got the better of him. What have you done? He demanded, unable to resist caving in. Without even finding the right time to communicate my feelings to Emily, I find myself asking Devin whether he'd consider marrying us. Marrying? Tamar repeated, giving me an appalled look and shaking his head in disbelief clearly beside himself. Are you provoking me? No, it happened. Old man, 
When you get the scent, you're about as sensible as a bull moose during running season. You're not helping. Fair enough, but I'm certainly not offering, Tamara said. You realize you're making my skin crawl? How about if I don't buy dinner, I offered. No pizza, Tamara clarified. Whatever you want. Oh, it's a deal. I feel like fish and chips, and I'm awfully hungry. So what if you would do if you were... So what would you do if you were me, I asked. Wait. I need to get something straight first. So you've never told Emily how you feel about her, and yet you asked about marrying her? <laughs> yes. Tamara lit a cigarette and seemed to muse about the circumstance for a few seconds. So why can't you talk about your feelings with Emily? I don't know, I said. That's not fair, Tamara warned me. Don't get me curious and then not fill me in with details. You know it's in my nature to have to know. I guess I just don't, I'm just not comfortable with talking about such feelings with a woman. Well, what man is, Tamara pointed out, exhaling smoke. I just wish our relationship could be assumed. Then I wouldn't have to take responsibility when she finds out there's less substance to me than she thought. I'm afraid after all is said and done that she feels disillusioned. Then your feelings for her are conditional, Tamara concluded, reducing everything to its simplest form, another one of his great abilities. I considered this. Intellectually, this is true. My feelings for her are conditional on her loving me. From a feeling standpoint, no, I care for her and desire to remain with her with an unconditional intensity. You're in a real mess, old man, Tamara concluded. But I think you just need to ask yourself a simple question. How will my decision either way affect Emily? Yeah, but with Emily it's so complicated that I'm not really sure whether I'm harming or helping. Oh, you're harming her, said Tamara candidly. She told me she's trying to become a better person, though, for you. She is? I asked in astonishment, feeling a rush of emotion. So with our relationship on the line, she's finally making an effort to work through her issues. Whatever she's doing, as far as her self-improvement goes, it should be for herself. Don't you see the difference? End of chapter 4